I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. So this is Easter, right? So we're celebrating the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and that we have hope. So why are we starting back at the cross? Right, the first little bit we're dealing with is dealing with the cross. And I think it's important for us to lay a foundation why the resurrection is so powerful and why it actually matters to us today. See, when they took Jesus' body off the cross, I am sure that their hearts were broken. Right? The, the disciples who watched this and those who were followers of Jesus, they had just witnessed the greatest injustice ever committed against another. Jesus was crucified, a brutal death between two criminals, as if Jesus himself was a criminal. But he wasn't. It was this Jesus that had touched the lives of so many, and, 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 and I love the stories that are included in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in our New Testament, because they begin to show the story of Jesus, who loves to be with people. And this one time, there's this guy who's an outcast. He's uh, been stricken with leprosy, and, and in Jesus' day, if you had leprosy, uh, you were somebody who was untouchable, because leprosy was catching, <laughs> If you caught leprosy, you are separated from everybody else. It was a, a cultural norm that was thrust upon those who really had no control over this in their own lives. And this, at this one point, this outcast came to where Jesus was, and the crowd was probably freaking out a little bit, <laughs> wondering why this guy who was untouchable is trying to get to talk to Jesus. Maybe the people in the crowd around Jesus uh, would, would want to hear Jesus teach and they're appalled by the fact that this leper is trying to get to where Jesus is. So this guy who was a leper knew his place and his place was not among the clean. <laughs> it was not among those who could just walk around with others. This leper was supposed to be separated. And so he makes his way to where Jesus is and maybe in the back of his mind is, is playing this idea that um, he knows that the other religious leaders of the day shunned him and pushed him away, never touching him, of course, but pushed him away to the outskirts. Would Jesus be the same? Would Jesus be like the other holy men, better than him, unconcerned with the forgotten and fixated on power? He was probably sure that Jesus would avoid him just like everybody else, but somewhere in there in his life, he's saying, I've just got to give it a shot. But Jesus is not like everybody else. Do you know that? Jesus is not like everybody else. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, we see this. It says, the man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand. And my guess is in that moment that the crowd is absolutely beside themselves. But it says Jesus reached out his hands and touched him. 
the untouchable, the outcast, the person on the very fringes of society. Jesus touched that individual. And he says, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Imagine those words to somebody who was unclean and could not participate in the religious and the social life of anyone around him. And all of a sudden, Jesus proclaims him to be clean and acceptable and right. And everybody saw that the leprosy was gone from his body. An incredible story. It's not just a story. It's something true that happened. A little bit later on, Jesus finds himself in the temple, which is uh, the center of religious worship for the nation of Israel at the time. And uh, so there's Jesus in the temple. And the religious leaders, probably some of the same ones who uh, were kind of ashamed that Jesus would touch the unclean person, religious leader comes, or several of them come, and they bring a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Let that kind of paint its own picture there. Caught in the act of adultery and bring her in front of Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you going to do? The law says that this woman should be stoned to death. (laughs) For her, she's the object of the religious leaders pointing at her shaming her, calling her out, accusing her, shouting at her. There would have been desperation on her part of trying to escape because she knew that the penalty for what she had been caught in was death. So they all grabbed stones, ready to give this punishment out. Amidst the shouting, after they asked Jesus the question, what what are you going to do about this, Jesus? Jesus kneels down, the crowd probably still shouting in that moment. Have you ever been um, with somebody who, like, changed the atmosphere of a room for the negative? Like, you know, the party's happening, and then, um, if your name's Debbie, I apologize, and then Debbie Downer shows up <laughs> and just changes everything, right? You've been there before. Maybe you are that person. Just, you know, the, you know, the party just gets sucked out. Okay. So here is all of this high energy, high emotion, and Jesus, who's the great teacher, he kneels down, not participating in any of it, and people are wondering what he's doing and why he's doing it. It says, the Bible says he begins writing in the ground. We don't know what he wrote there. It's awkward now. (laughs) The emotion of the moment is starting to kind of fizzle out. And then Jesus looks up, maybe stands up, and he says, let the person without sin cast the first stone. So remember, there's all these religious leaders around there. They're the holy ones, right? Let the person without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes, kneels back down and that silence probably grows deafening at that point until you hear the thud of the first rock being dropped out of the hand of probably, the Bible says, the, the oldest religious leader there. The oldest one, the most holy, the one who's got it all together, drops his stone first. And others are amazed by this probably. The other young, you know, young religious leaders looking at this and go, boy, if, if that guy who's the holy one among us, if he can't throw this first stone, that means he's got sin in his life. He's admitting it. I have to do the same. And they all drop their stones. You hear the thuds of those stones falling into the sand. And then they leave. And now it's just Jesus and that woman who's caught in adultery. And she's probably sobbing, trying to figure out what's going on here, knowing that her life is forfeit. It's just Jesus and the woman, and she, or Jesus asks her, where have your accusers gone? Is there no one left to condemn you? Jesus asks, they have all left, is what she says. She looks up, stunned that there's nobody left except for Jesus. 
but now there's a whole other question that might play through her mind. Jesus is standing here, the, the one with the power. Is she now going to be beholden to him, just like what's happened time and time again? In her life, is, is she now going to be powerless against this powerful teacher? Is he going to take advantage of her? Is he going to manipulate her into another situation where she's caught? She's waiting for the takeover the moment her freedom is dashed again and she's bound to another man. But Jesus is not like everybody else. John chapter 8 verse 11 says, Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on do not sin anymore. She is free. All because Jesus spoke life into her. Because Jesus is not like anybody else. <laughs> the leper in circumstances not of his choosing, but brought on by the touch of another, or maybe by unsanitary conditions, it's kind of thrust upon him from the outside. It was outside of his control, and society set boundaries which he couldn't cross. This woman caught in adultery, maybe facing the decisions that led her to break covenants, to face the internals of her own heart's darkness. It was the inside for her that was out of control. And these two picture the, the gamut of what we face. Forces both inside us and outside of us fighting against us. And that thing that we face is sin. That disobedience, that... Boy, we want to make the right decisions, but we can't. You ever done that before? You're like, I know I shouldn't do this, but it feels so right. And that's that sin that just kind of builds up in our lives. It impacts us by the choices we make. It impacts us by the choices that others make <laughs> that we're affected by. We're all tainted by sin and we're powerless to fight back on our own. It always leads to defeat when we try to defeat sin on our own. It's been that way since the beginning. Since the Garden of Eden, the Bible says in Genesis, where sin came into the world. It's been this way and we're powerless. Except for Jesus and except for the cross. This is where it all changes, is on the cross. And it's why it was such an injustice. Jesus did nothing wrong. It is us who did wrong. But Jesus was crucified, brutalized, beaten. The agony was clear as he was on the cross. It was on that cross that our punishment was meted out upon him. The uncleanness of our external lives was laid upon him. The terror of our internal lives was laid upon him, and he took it upon that cross. And he didn't have to do it. But remember, Jesus is not like anyone else. Luke 23 says this, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. Creation mourned. You get that? The sun went dark. And in the temple, which was the, the place of God's presence for the nation of Israel at that time, there was a, a, a room on the inside, the very deepest part you could get, and it was separated by a curtain. And that curtain separated, really, God from the, from the people. And the Bible says in one of the other Gospels that that curtain split 
from the top to the bottom rather than from the bottom to the top, from the top to bottom. God himself split that curtain and said, things are different now because the cross happened. Opening up a new way to the Father. Amen. That's good stuff. (laughs) It happened because the cross happened. And the cross happened because of God's love for us. No longer will there be a barrier between us and him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died and rose from the dead to give us the power to stop sinning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been. Jesus Christ defeated sin, and in him is life. And this life is the light of men. Our God reigns. Go tell your neighbor or tell a friend. This light shined in the darkness, but the darkness didn't recognize it. Even when he healed the blind and gave them focus, listen, I'm preaching the gospel and putting the devil on notice. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's coming soon, and I hope that you know this. Because in the past, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Even amongst his own land and his own people, he was not wanted. But to those who believed in his name, but to those who believed in his reign, but to those who believed he was who he claimed, he gave the right to be called children of God. And we beheld the glory of the author, the glory that the one and only son could only receive from the father, full of grace and truth, his offer is living water. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became human and lived on earth among us, not a king of worldly wealth, but by staying human, he humbled himself. He lived a selfless, obedient life to die a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, crucifixion. But it was our sins that did that to him. So be born again and set your vision on the King of Kings and join the mission. Christ wounded for our transgression and pierced for our iniquities. And all of that just for this goal so that we could be whole. So as we run this race, just know that the King of Kings was exalted to the highest place. It's finders keepers and what I found is grace. So as, I, so as I read my sword, I find that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So rejoice and celebrate, because Jesus is on his way, and he ain't never late. This is the resurrection, that the Son would come and offer his life as an invitation to know his peace, to know his love, to have relationship, and rise above. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, so stand to your feet and let's worship for life.
empty and the tomb where Jesus was laid is empty. So we are a people of hope. And I love that. You can go ahead and be seated. You can be seated. All right. Ah. So the day that Jesus rose from the dead, you would think that everybody would be on board. <laughs> you would think everybody, even his closest disciples, would just kind of be ready to go down that road and say, all right, let's get to work. But the responses of those that day when they found out that the tomb was empty really run the gamut of human experience. 
there were those who saw the empty tomb and those that just kind of knew within themselves that yes, the, the Messiah, the one we're serving, this Jesus, he has risen from the dead and it was not a problem for them at all and they're like ready to go. And there were others though that struggled. There were those that faced doubt even though they saw Jesus crucified. They saw where Jesus was laid. They can go to where the tomb was and the stone rolled away and no body there and they struggled with that doubt. It may seem surprising to us. Right, that some they were there, and yet they struggled. And I think that this describes the reality of our faith in a really helpful way. It's called faith, <laughs> um, because uh, I don't know. But, well, for those of you who've been following Christ uh, for a long time, whatever whatever you think a long time is, uh, uh, ten years, twenty, thirty, forty years. There might be some here, maybe even serving the Lord for fifty plus years. The great thing about faith is we grow. The great thing about faith is that we learn new things about who God is through reading his word. We, we learn things about who God has made us to be when we grow in him. And, and that's why it's faith. And the people of God back then facing all of this knew that it was by faith they had to receive what had happened, that Jesus had rose, risen from the dead. We're growing in our faith. We have to start some of you, start uh, start somewhere. And for some of you, uh, that perhaps started last week. We had many people that said yes. I, they raised their hand. Yes, I want to follow after this Jesus. I don't know what it all means, but maybe this week, within the last seven days since that decision, you begun to realize that there's a hunger within you for God to do something dramatic and, and radical in your lives, and that's faith. You say, Jesus, I want you to work in my life in a way that I didn't know you could. This is exactly what the disciples are facing at the very beginning. What we find the disciples, even though Jesus had risen from the dead and some of them knew it, there was still fear associated with all that had transpired. They were in a room, doors locked. So the Bible says in the book of John, doors locked. There was fear, there was anxiety. The religious leaders would certainly be on alert for any of them because they had identified with Jesus and the, the, uh, the, the society and culture and, and their legal system crucified Jesus. And so the lives of these disciples was, was forfeit as well. Rumors were spreading fast that the tomb was empty. Some had even claimed to have seen the risen Jesus before this point. And they waited in silence for some of them and hushed conversations for others, wondering what was coming next. In John chapter 20, it says this, and so this is the picture of, of that story. When it was evening of that first day of the week, so Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the dead, and now it's evening time, so maybe 12 hours, 13 hours has passed. And the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. So I mean, the windows are battened down, the doors are locked, and what does it say? Jesus came and stood among them. No closed door is going to keep Jesus out. No shut window is going to keep Jesus out. No, no walled-in room is going to keep Jesus out. He shows up at that moment of their deepest need, and he says to them, peace be with you. You see, the world around us is not filled with peace. There's hurt and pain. I was talking to somebody right after first service, just overwhelmed with just the circumstances of the world around us. And this is where Jesus comes and speaks peace. 
Jesus broke into the world in a new way, and when they saw him, everything changed. What does it say? Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They probably had a season uh, when, when their, their disbelief and trying to figure all this out, they start realizing that Jesus had for years been telling them that this was going to be the reality, that he was going to rise from the dead, but they didn't get it until after it had happened. And they go, oh, so that's what Jesus meant when he said he was going to destroy the temple and, and in three days that, that this would, that would be rebuilt. This is what he meant and many more things like that. There's a new joy in their reality and now a new boldness to their faith. If we fast forward a little bit from this moment, we, we find the story in the book of Acts, the story of the, kind of the birth of the church. And at the very beginning part of it, Jesus ascends to heaven. And he says, hey, don't worry, I'm coming back. How many of you are ready for Jesus to come back, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the hallmark of our faith. We're like, Lord, come back now. We need you to come back. But a new era opens up for the disciples back then. And that era that started then is the era that we still live in. And we have the benefit of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to convict us of sin, to help us to live this life that we cannot live on our own, that Jesus won for us on the cross. But the reality is, is that we live in tension in a world that's just not right. Injustice, sorrow, brokenness. We see wars, nations facing famines, the powerful destroying the powerless. And we feel that it's just not right. So, does the resurrection have anything to say about this? I'm here to tell you yes, it does. It has everything to say about this. So when the world thought that it had defeated Jesus through death on the cross, when the world thought that Jesus was buried in that tomb, the world thought it had victory and that it was defeat that was on God's side. <laughs> we feel this in our own lives when we feel defeated <laughs> and maybe we feel overwhelmed. It's like these walls build up we feel the defeat in our lives. Our lives when they're without Christ. Our lives when we are with Christ. We try to do it on our own as followers of Christ. But we fail every time. We fail every time when we try to do it on our own. And that wall seems to build. And it gets more unconquerable. We feel that growing in our lives. It, it gets in our way and it starts to, starts to maybe even define us. It begins to isolate us as that wall builds up. But the reality is that God flips all of that. That he turns it all upside down because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What the enemy thought was defeat for God was actually victory. On the cross, defeat was transformed through Jesus to overcome sin. In the tomb, defeat was swallowed up in victory. The resurrection of Jesus is the triumph that lives today and one that we can live ourselves. 
Paul, who uh, follows after Jesus uh, much later, um, he kind of pulls back the veil for us a little bit. And he begins to show us something that might be happening behind the scenes, kind of in the spiritual world that we don't often see when he says this in Colossians chapter 2. It says, When you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. We feel this, right? The wall's building up. It's getting uncomfortable. It's like I can't see everything that I'm supposed to be able to see in my life. It gets uncomfortable. When you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses, all of our sins forgiven. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So the word here is overcome. Right When the world builds that wall of separation between you and your faith, when you're confused and that wall towers over you, you feel isolated and alone. When the pressures of our culture make faith seem unnecessary, remember that God has triumphed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to a hope beyond all creation awaits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God we will not be moved when the earth gives away and what remains in the world is over
earth gives away For the risen one is overcome And for every fear And for every fear There's an empty grave Eric, thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.